Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, <laughs> with the savage premium so go to go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much uh, welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Uh, today is a special day for me, and we're going to play 
part one of a recent interview I did with the great Dr. Peter Pry. Dr. Pry is the exec, well, he's an expert on EMP blasts. He's a nuclear scientist, cyber attacks, mass destruction, terrorism, and things of that nature. It's a frightening topic. He has a lot to say about Putin's possible strategy, as well as what he thought the chances are for another large-scale war, and they're not very good. Some would call this a doomsday podcast. I'm not so sure it's a doomsday podcast, but the truth is it's a pretty frightening podcast, considering the state of the world and the state of the idiots running this country. After this interview, we'll uh, continue playing segments requested by listeners as a birthday celebration on the Michael Savage podcast, another sweet and sour podcast. First the doomsday and then the happy birthday one. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy them and I think you will. Welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. Today is another phenomenal Yankee Stadium home run interview with Dr. Peter Pry. Most of you never heard of him, but you should. We're talking about a nuclear EMP attack and various scenarios. Why should we concern ourselves with a nuclear EMP attack? What is a cyber attack? What is an electromagnetic pulse attack? How real is this fear? Why should we even think about why? Well, Putin has been threatening nuclear war. The war is getting hotter, not colder. And Dr. Pry is the the world's expert in protecting the United States from electromagnetic pulse attacks, cyber attacks, mass destruction, terrorism, and other threats to our civilian critical infrastructures. He knows more about it than anyone. I'll tell you more about him later. He's been at it a long time. He is a prophet, and I hope people listen to Dr. Pry on today's podcast. We'll talk about this and more right here on the Michael Savage podcast. Thanks for listening. Dr. Pry. So let's begin at the beginning. Putin threatens to use nuclear weapons. He hasn't used them yet. You're an expert on EMPs. And most people who are conscious of the world know what that means. Is there any evidence that Russia or any other player has thus far tried an EMP attack on the United States of America? Oh, no. Uh, we would definitely know it if they tried, because they would succeed. Uh, uh, you know, if they did a nuclear EMP attack uh, or, or, or a non-nuclear EMP attack, uh, you know, uh, the whole country could be blacked out. And, uh, and, and, the, and not a temporary blackout. Uh, if they did something like that, the object probably would be to paralyze our military forces, mm. you know, so that we would not be able to project power. It would be a catastrophe. Uh, you know, we'd have no electricity from coast to coast. Uh, the uh, water wouldn't work. Uh, cars wouldn't run. So we'll know if they hit us with an EMP, we're going to know it. Have they done it to the Ukrainians? Have the Russians EMP the Ukrainian military? Uh, no, they haven't. They haven't even done what they could do in terms of cyber attacks. Uh, you know, every year they launch a cyber attack against Ukraine to black out the Ukrainian grid. They don't appear to have done that in this uh, uh, current in, uh, aggression, invasion. Ryan. Uh, one possible reason for that, you know, is because the Ukrainian grid is connected to other East European countries that belong to NATO. And so, uh, you know, it would become an Article 5 if they did a cyber attack on Ukraine that also, for example, blacked out Poland. So, uh, so they have exercised restraint in terms of using cyber warfare in Ukraine. Well, look, you, you've written articles on this that are quite uh, alarming. You're the director of the United States Nuclear Strategy Forum, and you're on the Congressional Advisory Board dedicated to developing policies to counter weapons of mass destruction. I would like to ask a delicate question. Is the Biden administration concerned at all about these threats to our um, infrastructure, so to speak? Oh, yes, they are. Uh, 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 to their credit, uh, Biden did not cancel President Trump's executive order that he wrote in 2019. President Trump wrote an excellent executive order. Uh, I and the EMP Commission helped write, uh, you know, that uh, to protect the electric grid and all of our life-sustaining critical infrastructures, communications, telecommunications, food and water and the like, from, from EMP. 
Uh, the uh, so Biden administration that remains in force that executive order under Biden. And Biden is the first president who has uh, spent uh, money. Actually, he, uh, he's spending hundreds of millions of dollars to implement the executive order. Uh, the problem is, it's it, it it it's still not the priority that it deserves. You wrote an article recently in the Washington Times, beginning with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, which we all will remember sparked the First World War. And I'm I personally felt it from the beginning. I have tried from the beginning of this nonsense to say, wait a minute, this is how World War One started. First, one country did this, then the next country did that. Then the next country came in to be on that side, then that side. Next thing you knew, 25 million people were dead. Do you have the same fears that I do that this is escalating and not de-escalating? Oh, absolutely, I do. And I think the Biden administration is and 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 the and the West is going in exactly the wrong direction uh, in Ukraine. My my I I feel for the people of Ukraine. Of course, it's a humanitarian uh, disaster, uh, and, and Russia is an evil empire to invade Ukraine. Uh, but we don't have any vital national interests, you know. Uh, I'm very disappointed in the Republicans because this was a, a great opportunity for them to draw a bright line between globalist foreign policy, which is what the what the Democrats follow. Uh, uh, they they say American national interests be damned. We're going to uh, pursue the globalist agenda, and that globalist agenda is what has gotten us into all of these nonsensical wars in the Middle East, where Americans can't understand. Well, how is our interest served by trying to turn Afghanistan into a feminist secular democracy, for example? No, but Dr. Bright, look, I agree with you up to an extent. But when we see whole cities being reduced to rubble, they're starting to look. Some of the cities in Ukraine are starting to look like Berlin after World War Two. Yes, so you could say from a humanitarian point of view, somebody has to stop this insanity. And that's why we're in this conundrum, right? Because we don't have national interest there per se. But there's a humanitarian interest that may override national interest, some would argue. What would you say to I, that? Well, I, I just wrote an article, hasn't been published yet, but it will be. Uh, and we do have an a national interest in ending the Ukraine war because of its escalatory possibilities, precisely because it could turn into a World War I. And, uh, and, you know, what I, and what I recommend in that article uh, is, that, uh, uh, is that the United States I think the Biden administration is making a very dangerous mistake uh, to not raise the alert level of our strategic nuclear forces. On February 27th, Putin put his nuclear forces on a special combat alert. Uh, I think it may be unprecedented for the first time in history that an American president responded to that by failing to respond. Our forces remain at DEFCON 5, which is the lowest readiness level, and it makes them much more vulnerable to a surprise attack and much more tempting to the Russians to play the nuclear card. I think Biden has to show strength. He has to raise the readiness level, mobilize U.S. nuclear forces, leaves to DEFCON 3, and then immediately demarche Moscow, the Kremlin, and say, look, it, we're raising the readiness level of our nuclear forces because you've raised the readiness level of yours. Wait, so you're saying that Biden should raise the threat level? He should raise the, the level. He should mobilize our forces to a more survivable posture. You know, when the bombers are not scrambled and the submarines remain in port, they could be taken out even by North Korea quite easily with a, with just a few warheads. Uh, and it's very tempting to Russia to leave our forces at DEFCON 5 unmobilized and, and not ready. The, uh, uh, so he needs to mobilize those forces to a more survivable posture and at the same time tell Russia, we're mobilizing our forces because you mobilized your forces. We don't want a nuclear war. Uh, we want to uh, let's take this opportunity to avoid this nuclear crisis so we can both stand down our nuclear forces and end the fighting in Ukraine. He should call for an immediate ceasefire in Ukraine, and he should negotiate a peace with Russia based on the peace treaty that Moscow offered before it invaded. You know, the, uh, I'm not saying we should give the Russians everything they want by any means in that peace treaty, but it should be the basis for a serious negotiation, which Biden never even attempted. You know, there are many provisions in that proposed peace that the Russians gave that are more in our interests than in Russia's interests. For example, the idea that, that NATO should not expand any further east. 
you know, I don't think it's America's interest at all that we should expand NATO further east so that we're basically committing America to the defense of countries like Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. Uh, most Americans can't even find these countries on a map. But if we were to expand NATO further east, we'd be committing ourselves to, to de defend them by nuclear means, because that's the only way we could defend them. We can't defend them with conventional forces. We can't project enough power to Central Asia to protect them. So that is one of the biggest asks that Russia had in its peace treaty. And that's an, an ask I would gladly give them, you know, because it's, it's, it's uh, more in our interests even in, than in theirs. So I think it's possible to achieve a negotiated peace, but Biden has got to show strength. What we shouldn't be doing is stoking the Ukrainian war, which is what the policy is right now. I'm Michael Savage, back in a minute. Michael Savage, a host like no other. We're speaking with Dr. Peter Pry on the Michael Savage podcast. I don't understand the Zelensky guy, why he's such a hero. Every country that he wants help from, he starts by attacking them and calling them names. He <laughs> seems to be, to me, doing his own people more harm than, than good. What do you say, Dr. Pry? Well, I think Zelensky is uh, a Churchillian figure for Ukraine because Churchill, one of Churchill's great gifts as a statesman was to convince other countries to come and fight his wars. In, in, in the World War II, it was the United States. And that's what Zelensky's doing. He, he's doing his, his, his job. But our policy should not be to fight to the death of the last brave Ukrainian by endlessly stoking the Ukraine war. That could lead exactly to the World War I situation you're talking about. It could have unpredictable consequences. Somehow, sometime, somewhere, there's going to be a miscalculation and then the United States and Russia will find ourselves in a shooting war that could rapidly escalate into a cyber EMP war that would be catastrophic for us. You know, we're not prepared for that. The Russians would win that hands down or even to a nuclear war. They're better prepared for that, too. You know, we don't have a civil defense program the way the Russians have. You know, you know I, I'm looking at your background and I have to interject this for the average listener, Dr. Pry. They may not know that in addition to um serving as an intelligence officer with the CIA, responsible for analyzing Soviet and Russian nuclear strategy, their operational plans, their military doctrine, their threat perceptions. You've done this for a very long time. Uh, they don't know that the BBC itself made your book War Scare into a two hour TV documentary entitled Soviet War Scare in 1983. Your book, Electric Armageddon, was the basis for another TV documentary by National Geographic entitled Electronic Armageddon. So you hold a certification in nuclear weapons design. Are you a nuclear scientist as well? Well, basically, uh, you can't be in this field for a professional lifetime and, and, and not acquire that. I was originally trained academically, you know, as a uh, historian and archaeologist and uh, and I and uh, as an expert in strategic studies, but my real education began, you know, when I entered uh, the defense and intelligence community. That's where you, you know, learn about nuclear weapons strategy, the effects of nuclear weapons, and the like. Well, look, I want people to know that days before it took place, Doctor Pry predicted that Putin would invade Ukraine. You also at the time speculated that Russia may move into neighboring NATO states. Now, given that um, we don't know whether he will do that, do you believe that Putin will target NATO members? I mean, are we to believe that his military is as devastated and that they miscalculated? Or is this, as you suspect and as I suspect, him playing possum to draw NATO into Ukraine so he can destroy their tanks? Exactly. I, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, you know, the, every, your audience should be cautious about believing what they're hearing from the mainstream media and from the Biden administration, from Ukraine itself about what's going on. Everybody speaks with such certainty that the Russians are on the ropes, the Russians are losing <laughs> the Ukraine war. I hope that's true. And it could even be true. Mm. But the fact of the matter is these, the people that are giving this information are biased for us to believe that. 
because Ukraine wants us to believe the Russians are losing so that we will jump in and join them in defeating the Russian uh, army. The Biden administration wants us to believe it because they don't want to be the narrative about how the Biden administration's uh, thrown away American credibility uh, when he drew a line in the sand over Ukraine and Russian tanks rolled over it. Uh, I'm, I, when I hear all of this stuff about how uh, the Russian army is not 10 feet tall and they're failing so badly and, uh, and we've overestimated their strength, I keep thinking about the Battle of Austerlitz in 1805, which is much studied in the Russian general. You know, I want, I want to interject. I, I read your article and then I did a little four minute video on YouTube called Is Putin Playing Possum? In which I put a picture, a, a statue I have of Napoleon, a beautiful marble statue from the 1880s from Belgium. And I asked, is Putin playing possum? It went over the heads of most people. They don't even understand what he's doing, even the theory that he could be doing it. And then your your uh, uh, analysis of the Battle of Austerlitz. Could you please tell the people what happened at the Battle of Austerlitz? Sure. It was Napoleon's greatest victory uh, in 1805. Uh, uh, Napoleon uh, uh, fought in uh, uh, against the combined armies, the greatest armies uh, of Europe, Russia, Austria, and Prussia combined. We're all against Napoleon. And um, Can be. Uh, in order to win the battle, you know, Napoleon uh, tried to convince Russia and, his, uh, and the other allied powers uh, that his army was weak and demoralized. It was the end of his supply chain, uh, that all they had to do was attack him and he would be easily defeated. And so Napoleon did lots of things to try to convince them of this. You know, Napoleon had won many victories before the Battle of Austerlitz. And so they were suspicious, that uh, uh, very suspicious of him. So he had to do a lot to convince them to attack. Uh, you know, but he sent spies into their defectors uh, who, who gave them false information about how he didn't have the supplies and how his men were demoralized. He even had whole regiments run away from the Russians to try to convince them that the, uh, the French had lost their morale and had turned coward. And uh, all they had to do was attack. Well, eventually uh, he, he occupied the worst part of the battlefield, the low ground and let the Russians and Austrians have the best, the high ground, the best part of the battlefield. Eventually they were lured, lured into attacking and then he dropped the hammer and he destroyed the, all these armies, the best armies in, in mainland Europe. Uh, and it gave him dominance over Europe. How did Napoleon achieve that? He drew them in by feigning weakness. Yes. And then what? He divided their forces. Is that what he did? Uh, he had a bunch of uh, divisions hidden in a forest. And uh, and when they came down on the part of Napoleon's line that they thought was weakest, where they would be able to win, he, he smashed into their flank and flanked the Russians. And uh, and they were the Russians were forced to retreat onto a frozen lake, which he then used his, his cannons to uh, crack the ice on the lake, and uh, and many Russians drowned. The ice cracked because of the weight. Uh, because uh, because Napoleon used his artillery to bombard the. Uh, oh my God! Under the feet of the Russian soldiers, and uh, and uh, it was a, a catastrophe. His greatest victory, and uh, you know one. It's considered one of the the twenty one decisive battles of the world, and that's. It's possible. I'm not saying that this is what is happening. Maybe Russia is on the ropes. Maybe they are losing Ukraine. I'm just asking people to remember Afghanistan, how, how confident we were, our people anyway, our intelligence community, that, that uh, we were going to have an honorable peace in Afghanistan. We'd planned for years and years yeah. how to draw our forces. It was all supposed to go smoothly like clockwork. And look what a disaster. You know, the Taliban defeated us in Afghanistan. And now we don't have boots on the ground in, in Ukraine the way we did in Afghanistan. Those were our people telling us what we thought was the truth in, in, uh, in Afghanistan. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned that the same administration with the same commander in chief, Joe Biden, that had this disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan is now leading the effort against Russia around the world. Do they know what they're doing, Dr. Pride? Oh, I don't think they do. Uh, he, he never should have gotten uh, drawn on a line on the sand over Ukraine. Ukraine's not a NATO member state, and we have no vital national interests there. He should have seriously negotiated with the. He should be focusing on trying to make Russia a strategic partner and divide the Sino-Russian alliance, which is the biggest block of military and economic power the free world has ever faced. You know, uh, 
Uh, we wouldn't be able to win, I think, a World War III against the combined forces of Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Mm. He's got to divide Russia off from them, at least make them neutral. And he had an opportunity before the invasion to do that by negotiating a peace treaty that met Russia's legitimate interests. Russia does have some legitimate security interests. So many of its interests are also aggressive and not legitimate. But that's why you negotiate. Well, we, we drove Russia into into an alliance with China, and they're naturally not allies. And we all know that, at least those of us who are not in the administration. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. We're back speaking with Dr. Peter Pry. Can we please go back to Russia's military for one minute? Um, you theorize that Putin is sacrificing older model tanks and baiting NATO, NATO much like Napoleon did. The tanks we see destroyed on the TV screens, are these old T-38s or are they the modern T-60s? They're more modern T-54s and things, of, uh, older, older T-54s, older stuff. They haven't put their Armata, for example, which is their best, most modern tank uh, into it. Most of the Russian Air Force has not participated in this. Uh, you know, so they've allowed the and the military. Right. And the media keeps saying, well, oh, Putin's Air Force can't fly. Are they crazy? He hasn't used them yet. Yeah, that's right. They really haven't been used. Russia has a million men in its army. It's only put 200,000 into Ukraine. It's got 20,000 tanks. It's only put a couple of thousand into Ukraine. You know, the uh, how, how many how many nuclear weapons does NATO possess in total? Did, did I read 200? Is that correct? The U.S. Uh, tactical nuclear weapons in NATO are one, 100. Uh, you know, in my article, I have 180. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so uh, but but more recent estimates say that we've only got 100 tactical nuclear weapons in NATO. Now, French, France and Britain have their own independent nuclear arsenals. But those are strategic weapons that wouldn't be used on the battlefield. Those would be used in a, a big Homeland to homeland nuclear exchange. But you're saying the tactical nukes are low yield nuclear weapons. Is that what they are? Uh, they're short range nuclear weapons. Uh, they can have high yields, but mostly they have low yields. Uh, the ones that are in our arsenal are uh, have adjustable yields. You know, they could be as low as five kilotons up to twenty kilotons. Five and kilotons considered. I love five kilotons. Now considered low. What What was the Hiroshima bomb? What was the tonnage of that? Uh, 20 kilotons. 20. You know? Yeah. The, uh, 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 a, uh, uh, Russia has a 10 to 1, at least a 10 to 1 advantage over us in tactical nuclear weapons. And that could be part of their plan. Uh, maybe they don't want, maybe the master plan that Putin has, and again, and I'm not saying that this is the truth, I'm just ha asking people to keep open minds. And before you jump into the Ukraine war, think about other possibilities of what could be going on, that we could be walking in to a tactical nuclear Battle of Austerlitz here, you know, that if we sit mm. in U.S. and NATO troops, and that's at the very edge of our ability to project power, those guys would be out there on the frontier and we wouldn't be able to pull them back. Uh, Ukraine could become a tactical nuclear killing ground. Russia has got not only does it have a vast advantage in tactical nuclear weapons in terms of numbers, again, at least a 10 to 1 advantage. But the technological sophistication of Russia's nuclear weapons is much greater than that. of What are Russia's nuclear capabilities? We, you, you just described the fact that NATO has 100 or so nuclear weapons. Yeah, about 100 tactical nuclear weapons. OK. Uh, and, and what does Russia have? Russia has got at least 2000. It, it might have 8000, according to uh, uh, depending upon which estimates you have. So they have at least a 10 to 1 advantage in the numbers of their tactical nuclear weapons. And unlike our tactical nuclear weapons, which are, are just stored in bunkers, and they're just gravity bombs, they have to be delivered by airplane, uh, Russia has tactical nuclear weapons for all of its services. You know, the Navy has tactical nuclear weapons. The Army has tactical nuclear weapons. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, uh, their, their artillery has tactical nuclear weapons. So you could have a situation where... If you were having an air battle between our air forces and their air forces, you know, the Russians could have tactical nuclear weapons on their air to air missiles, you know, and take out not just one, but many of our airplanes uh, that way. A Russian uh, artillery piece could resolve a tank battle by firing a tactical nuclear weapon. And the characteristics of these of Russian tactical nuclear weapons are uh, much more, they're much more advanced. They have ultra low yield 
tactical nuclear weapon, so you can dial the yield down very low so that it might be less than one kiloton, just enough to take out a bridge. Or you could take that same weapon and dial it up high enough to deal with whatever tactical situation you might encounter, whether it's destroying an armored company, an armored battalion, or an armored brigade. You know, they have tactical nuclear weapons that are clean. They produce no radioactive fallout. So you don't have to worry about the fallout that the Biden administration has been talking so much about. They also have nuclear weapons for specialized effects that just put out neutron radiation, for example, that cause very little damage to, uh, to buildings. But well, are very I, I, the people. I had um, Dr. Cohen on my radio show back in the 90s. He's since passed away. Yeah, he was a friend. He was a friend. Amazing. He I think he said on the show, Dr. Pry, that one of our presidents dismantled our neutron bombs. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, we went we went through an enormous effort uh, to get the neutron bomb deployed into Europe under Jimmy Carter. And then Carter lost his nerve because of all the protests that were going on in NATO Europe. After all the the, the uh, after the governments of Europe had taken the political hit to accept the neutron bomb onto NATO soil. Carter changed his mind and uh, reversed course, and we didn't deploy the neutron bomb. Instead, it basically got dismantled. And we don't have any neutron bombs anymore. They've been dismantled. And, uh, so it was Carter that did this? Yeah, it was President Carter. Uh, oh, my God. You know? The, and uh, Russia, Russia has many neutron, neutron bomb-like projectiles? Yes. In fact, they have what's called a mini-neutron mini weapons as well that, that are very low-yield uh, uh, produce almost no fallout uh, and have are, are selectable in terms of the neutron kill zone. They also have EMP and super EMP weapons. Uh, they have X weapons that are uh, specialized for X radiation uh, so that you could use these to take out uh, ballistic missile warheads. Uh, so you're an, ex you're an expert in all of this stuff. Have you been called before Congress recently to discuss these possibilities? No, not recently. Not recently. Of course, it's not important now, not important enough. So if we could quickly jump to the EMP uh, issue, if if you were to strategize what Putin might do with the, these advanced weapons he has compared to the fact that we have no such advanced weaponry, uh, those that can attack our, our, our um, infrastructure by simply knocking out with an EMP blast, knocking out our infrastructure. I mean, he could turn off our reservoirs and our electric grid, couldn't he? Yes, that's right. He could even paralyze our military forces, so we could not retaliate uh, because these super EMP weapons generate field strengths that are so powerful uh, that the hardening and protection we've tried to build into our ICBMs, our bombers, and our, uh, and, and our, and our submarines uh, would be vulnerable, uh, even uh, against super EMP weapons, which generate... God. Uh, so even even our military forces would be paralyzed. So we could not project power. We wouldn't be able to engage in nuclear retaliation. Uh, you know, basically the clock would begin ticking toward the death of millions of Americans toward, toward starvation. And then a president would have to decide, what do I do? Try to fight a losing war against uh, against Russia over Ukraine? Or do I put all my surviving resources into trying to rebuild the electric grid and save millions of American lives? Hopefully an American president who... Uh, will will rule consistent with the Constitution, would choose to save the American people. Yeah, hopefully. That was part one of my interview with Dr. Peter Pry about Ukraine, Russia, Putin, and the possibility of nuclear war, God forbid. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. And now we need to lighten up the mood a bit. We have something that I hope you're going to like. We've been playing segments that were recommended by you, the listener, for my birthday celebration. Well, here are a few more of the requested pieces from the Savage audience. Here is a Graham Hancock birthday tribute from 2008. It's always a scream with Graham. This is Graham Hancock with a special birthday tribute to Michael Savage. I have visited some of the people that Michael Savage has talked about over the years for their comments here is what they had to say on this auspicious occasion. First, we begin with Hillary Clinton. I would like to know, on behalf of Michael Savage, are you getting to the point of being exhausted from the attacks from your own Democratic Party? I don't feel no ways tired. I see. I come too far. 
Now we go to Senator Ted Kennedy. Senator Kennedy, Michael Savage would probably like it very much if you were to be more realistic about the immigration issue. What do you have to say to that on this important special birthday? We'll pass! We'll pass! Absolutely disgusting. Now we go to John McCain. Yes, Senator McCain. For Michael Savage's birthday, do you think that if you're elected president that you could begin to work with the problem of wasted taxpayer dollars known as pork? What's really obscene about this, they loaded onto it, larded onto it. Yes, exactly. Pork all over it. I like pork. It's really obscene. Well, I don't know. I Larded pork. We'll move on. Now we have Representative Charlie Rangel from New York. Some people like to think of Michael Savage as the commander-in-chief of the savage nations of America. The American people have spoken. Do you think he's wrong for taking that moniker? He is the commander-in-chief. Very well. Now we have the Reverend Al Sharpton. Reverend Al, what would you say in defense of Michael Savage since you're so much about the freedom of speech on his birthday since he's been attacked by radicals and extremists? Any thoughts on that? A man of a different race, a white man. You, there's a difference between a redemption and amnesty. Unbelievable. Let's move on now to Barack Obama. I understand that you are planning on sneaking in to Michael Savage's birthday. What do you have to say to that, sir? Just exactly what was your strategy? As careful getting out as we were careless getting in, uh, and that we had some uh, obligations just to make sure that uh, we handled uh, an exit properly. I see. So that you wouldn't be detected, eh? You wanted to spy on Savage. I see. Very politically correct. And speaking of politically correct, our last guest to comment on Michael Savage's birthday will be Nancy Pelosi. Ms. Pelosi, what would you like to say to Michael Savage on this most auspicious of occasions? I would extend a hand of friendship just to say to him, calm down. There's a new Congress in town. Of all the nerve! Take a deep breath. Really? That we each have our constitutional role, and we should respect that. Despicable. In terms of each other. Well, there you have it. A birthday tribute to Michael Savage. From 2009, here is a discussion on Manson and Helter Skelter. A pretty frightening topic, isn't it? I think you might enjoy it, though. The song Blackbird, uh, about uh, blackbirds fixing their wings, rising up and flying. So Manson told his family that by Blackbird, come on, we know what the Beatles are talking about. They're talking about the black man. And they're telling the black man to rise up. An apocalyptic war that would arise from racial tensions between blacks and whites. And it involved reference to the music from the Beatles that I just played from the 1968 double album. The Beatles, known as the White Album. And so what they did was, they murdered people in cold blood, including Sharon Tate, butchered her while she was pregnant, and tried to blame it on black people to trigger a race war. Now, thank God he's in prison. But now we have a new problem. It's no longer white female hippies who are 20 years old who are doing this. They're now 70 years old, and they're instigating people who are 20 years old. And so, my friends, you have to ask yourself, why is this happening now? Where did it come from? How did it start? Why are we living through this? I mean, after all, we have a black president. After all, we have a, the second black attorney general. Shouldn't that have calmed things down? Well, it should have if they were people like Clarence Thomas. Yeah, that would have, ha that would have calmed things down. But they were from the opposite side of the political spectrum. They were left-wing agitators, and still are left-wing agitators, who have gotten where they are through agitation and racial division and using the race card, so why should they stop now? So what I want to play for you is to show you that these, these executions of the police officers in Dallas did not arise in a vacuum. I'm going to play in a minute some of the sound bites going all the way back to Barry Obama when he first was foisted upon us right up to the present and you're going to hear the rate the 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 anti-police rhetoric did we play it yet in the last hour no we haven't played it but before I do that for those of you who can still think those of you who are not into group think those of you who actually have logical faculties meaning the majority of Americans who support this country not the people in the street who are rubbing their crotch last night and giving out gang signs to the police as their fellow officers lay dead, rubbing the crotch, begging the cops to shoot them. I'm not re addressing this to them. I'm addressing this to those of you who work for a living, those of you who have studied hard, of all races, by the way, 
who get up early in the morning and work till late at night, who have logic in your brain. I'm asking you a simple logical question, and you have to ask yourself, am I wrong in even asking it, or am I right in asking it? Because I am doing the job that no one in the media has done until today, and I will take credit for the fact that it must be done. If it is ever done, this is the germ of the investigation that must be conducted by the FBI and or the Dallas Police Department or any other investigative agency that may be involved in seeing if this execution of the Dallas police was orchestrated, because I think it was. And why do I come to that conclusion? Because we've still been unable to confirm that the Black Lives Matter march route was published in advance. But why does that matter? Because if the marching route was not published in advance, only a few people... Only a few community organizers knew which direction they would be marching in, which streets, which alleys, which turns they would be taking. Given the assassinations, we have to assume that there was a coordination with the assassins who were waiting for them with scoped rifles. We heard originally that there were three or four of them, and they triangulated the police and shot them in the back. That means they were waiting for them. That means the police were led into this ambush by a small cadre of people who knew the parade route. That's my opinion. What's yours? And now let's play some of the montage of the anti-cop rhetoric going back to the beginning of this community organizer who's hiding in Poland right now. Listen carefully. We have seen too many instances of what appears to be police officers uh, interacting with individuals, uh, primarily African-American, uh, in ways that raise troubling questions. Our police officers cannot be and cannot be seen as an occupying force disconnected to the communities that they serve. If you talk about the last uh, decade or so in this city, uh, was race a factor and a problem in the relationship between police and community? Obviously it was. The relationship between police and community has to change. People need to know that black lives and brown lives matter as much as white lives. I think that when you have police violence that terrorizes communities, that doesn't show the respect that you're supposed to have from protecting people in your uh, authority, that can feel also terrorizing. What we also know is that there's still biases in our society, that in split-second situations where people are having to make quick decisions, that you know, studies have shown African-American males are seen as more threatening, which puts them in more vulnerable positions. <laughs> Pigs in a blanket, fry like bacon. Nice girls, aren't they? Just real sweethearts, real oppressed girls. And then you have the musicians like Jay-Z from standing on the corners bopping, from dropping some of the hottest verses rappers ever heard. Not so bad yet. From the dope spot with the smoke glock, flea in the murder scene, you know me well. Very good. Very high level English. I know 50 words of English. Remember the song I created, my fake rap song? I know 50 words of English and I'm worth 50 mil. Man, that's the, that's the country you're living in. 50 words of English. Listen to this from, you, you can't even make rhyme or reason out of it. And they line up around the block to listen to this, which is all about murder and killing and rape and using drugs. And you wonder where they get it and their pea brains from to go out and shoot cops. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. Manson wanted to see a race war. He said it was coming. Helter Skelter he got from the White Album of the Beatles. So you listen to all that music and you say, what does it have to do with the politics today? Everything. The same mentality is now running America. If you actually looked at the czars that Obama has put in power, their philosophy, their political philosophy matches that of 1969. I'm not accusing them of being mass murderers, comma, dot, dot, dot. 
but I'm not accusing them of not being in favor of doing certain things to their political enemies that have never been done in America before. Dot, dot, dot. Read the Khmer Rouge. Pol Pot, nice guy. Little professor, Cambodia, goes to Paris, studies Marxism, comes back. He wants to create nationalized socialized medicine in Cambodia, the middle class rebels. Pol Pot says, naughty, naughty boy and girl, this is not how it's done in the new Cambodia. In the new Cambodia, even the poor get health care, even the poor get government care, even the poor get this care, that care, hair care, your care, my care, his care. Then you're going to wind up in a death camp, mountainous skulls, three million skulls. How did that happen? Follow the bouncing skull. It started with a nice man who only wanted to do good for his people. When the people didn't want to go along with his doing good, his do-gooding, the road to you know where is paved with good intentions, when they didn't want to go along with it, they were forced to go along with it against their will, Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid. And so they still didn't go along with it. So we unleashed the amoral young teenagers of Cambodia, gave them AK-47s and Khmer Rouges, red scarves, and they were told to beat up the middle class, anyone who wore glasses, they were, they were told, was a bad person. Anyone who wore eyeglasses was educated and therefore a counter-revolutionary. So the middle class disappeared in Cambodia. They were beaten to death, worked to death, shot to death, killed to death, tortured to death. And Khmer Rouge, the Khmer Rouge did it. They were young communists. They were idealists run by a nice little man who was a professor who had gone to Paris to study Marxism. Which is why you have to understand the danger you are in. We have a neo-com administration. I tried with you now for months to say it's neo, neo, uh, neo-Marxist. You can't do it because the hemorrhoid with the ears didn't steal that one yet. You don't use the word. Bush and his people were called neocon, 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 code word for Jew. Neocon, neocon, neocon this, neocon that. Israel did it. Israel blew up 9-11. Israel blew up the World Trade Center. Jew, 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 neocon, neocon, yeah, 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 yeah. Can't say Jew, can't say that, but you can't say neocon. So they did it for for years, the left did it. Neocon, 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 neocon. It was really anti-Semitism. Jews did it again. So now they're onto something new. Now you have the other side of the coin. Now you have Obama surrounded by neo-Marxists. Almost every one of his special advisors at some point in their life, or even currently, are avowedly communist, socialist, anarchist types. But instead of calling them by their proper designation, which is neo-com, C-O-M, which would be a nice bookend to neo-con, C-O-N, The media doesn't do that because they're all one and the same. Government media complex. Beware the government media complex. 1998, Michael Savage, Commonwealth Club. Another speech, genius, unrecognized, done anyway in the archives. Beware the government media complex. Now, some have stolen it and made it into beware the Democrat media complex. Okay. But again, no credit. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Uh, Lao Tzu said doesn't matter who gets the credit for it so long as your ideas are being disseminated. Thank you, Lao Tzu. I appreciate it. When I see you in the next world, I hope you have a nice barbecue chicken waiting for me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's all. So here we are, 1969 to 2009. Goes back actually to 1809. Some would say it goes back to 1409. Others would say it goes back to 09. And some would say it goes back beyond even that. What it is, is a class struggle. It's a struggle between those who have and those who have not. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with have and have nots. And since we are living east of Eden in the land of Nor, where there is no Eden and uh, there is no place, we have to live with what we have and we have to have with what we live. And since we have now in the White House and around him uh, some people who have never before been seen in such high places in America... We have to live with it, and we're trying to live with it. And so the people go out, and they protest, and they're called racist. They're called every name under the sun by Nancy Pelosi, by Harry Reid, and the other illegitimate, the people who don't belong in office at all, are telling the people they don't even belong to have the vote. They have no right to have the vote because they're actually doing what Obama says people should do, which is organize. Think about it. The people in the Tea Parties, the people who went out, in uh, the uh, town hall me- to the town hall meetings were actually community organized, organized community. So everything that Obama says you should do, they did. Only they didn't agree with him. Therefore, they were fascist, Nazis, un-American, thugs. Everything that the American people aren't, he said they are. Therefore, 
the government is the illegitimate, not the people. Now, you say it's anti-government, you're wrong. It's anti-illegitimate government. And I'll be darned before I stop telling you what I think is going on. I believe we've had a communist revolution in this country, and I believe it's a slow communist revolution, only you don't even know it. I know that the word socialist is being laughed at. When I first started using it years ago, no one even knew what a socialist was. Five, six, seven, eight years ago when I started using it, eh, what's that? What are you talking about? Now everyone, socialist, socialist, so good. What you don't know is there's 30, 40 varieties of socialist. What's the big deal? He's a socialist. What's he hiding it for? The only question is what what variety of socialist is Obama? Is it on the mild side? Is it on the British side? Is it on the middle side? Is it on the far side? Is it on the other side? And what side is it? Is it on the side of Joseph Stalin? Is it on the side of Adolf Hitler, socialist from Germany? Or is it the side of Joseph Stalin, socialist from Russia? Is it on the side of Pol Pot, the socialist from Cambodia? Or is it a mild sort of state, say state socialism, slightly higher taxes, more government interference, more government-run things, but the people are basically left alone? What side is it? Is it Chavez closing down radio stations, imprisoning people, uh, taking property that isn't theirs? Is it Mugabe style? We don't know, because he doesn't know, because he's only a figurehead. He has no idea where this snowball could end. See, the avalanche has started. We don't know where the avalanche ends. That's the whole point. You don't understand it. There's been an avalanche in America, only you don't know where it ends. You don't know how big an avalanche it is. The question is, who set off the dynamite? Well, you have to look at the currency, because he who controls the currency controls the people. Now, who controls the currency? Well, you have to look at the currency traders of the world. You have to look at the man who almost broke the Bank of England. You have to look at the man who almost broke the Malaysian currency. You have to look at the man who was no doubt trading in U.S. dollars to run the dollar into the toilet by betting against it while claiming to be for it, while putting an imposter in in order to make sure that the people have no voice in the government. You got to look at the money trader. You got to look at the money changer in a temple and you'll find out that if you actually look at the handprints on it, you'll see it goes all the way back to the very same evil genius who almost broke the British pound in the humble opinion of the man who sits with a microphone and an undershirt on the second floor watching the world go by underneath his feet. And that all that's the whole story. It's a talk show host, one man looking at the world, one man's opinion of no power, no importance, not heard from by ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, or Fox. Therefore, he doesn't exist, but he has an audience of millions. No one knows how. How could it be that he has an audience of millions that so fanatically listen to his every word, hang on his every word, want to hear every word, can't wait to hear every word, get up in the morning hoping he's on that day, don't want fill-ins, don't want replays. Where's the man? Where is he? Why doesn't he talk? How come he can't do it every day, all day? Why do I listen to him? What's wrong with me? He's right. I know he's right. When I first heard him, I hated him. I thought he was an extremist. Now I realize I was crazy. He was right. Now I realize the danger we're in. Hey, man, where can I buy Band in Britain? I don't know. It's nowhere in a bookstore. Why not? How come they publish books by unknown doofus so-called conservatives and you can't find Michael Savage's books in a bookstore? I don't know. Is it some kind of conspiracy that New York publishers are in business to make money, won't touch a New York Times bestselling author? How come he's never on television? How come, how come, how come? All aboard, Khmer Rouge, here we come. Beware the government media complex. You have Oderman on MSNBC, you have Oderman and Softball, and on the other side of the coin, you have Leprechaun and Wallbanger. They all allegedly hate each other, but in fact, if you flip the coin, it's either side, what do you want? Throw it around four sides to the coin, because it's all one media complex. It's sort of a Rubik's Cube. The Rubik's Cube has four heads on it. Not as many heads as you would think, but there's four heads, and you think liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. No, my friend, Moloch owns them all. Watch out for the government media complex. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Back in 2015, I did a show live in New York City. Several of you requested a portion of that show because my mood was so high. Well, here it is. Right here on the Michael Savage podcast. I hope you enjoy it. It is the Savage Nation live from Madison Square Garden in New York City. Welcome to edition number two of the Savage Nation from my hometown, New York City. I couldn't wait to get into the 95-degree weather and 95% humidity. It's delightful, I got to tell you. Try to visit New York in the summer sometime, because if you're not from New York, well, you'll love it anyway, because the streets are filled 
I've never seen anything like it. Millions of tourists wherever you turn like lemmings, speaking every language on earth from every race, from every corner of the earth. It's a beautiful city. It's great to be here. But most importantly, it's great to talk about the news of the day on the Savage Nation. And boy, do we have news of the day. Of course, the number one story is Hillary Clinton. Did she wipe or not wipe? That is the question. Wait until you hear her weasel out of the question by Ed Henry of Fox News. It's an embarrassment. What she did would put anyone else in jail for violating the Espionage Act. You cannot believe what you're going to hear. And it gets better. Bill O'Reilly came out of the closet. We see him for what he is, a left-wing demagogue doing the bidding of his bosses at Fox News who are 100% in on amnesty for millions upon millions of illegals and all those who want to come in. And only Donald Trump can stop this insanity, the population overgrowth, maternity tourism, birthright citizenship. There's only one man speaking out against it. That's Donald Trump. Thank God I've been writing about it since 1994, but thank God that someone reads my books. Now, I can't say that Donald Trump's reading my books, but I can't say he never read my books. After all, I'm not an unknown personality. Nevertheless, the issue is, can we afford to take in all the poor of the earth? Of course we can. Uh, cannot. Now, as I said to you yesterday, I am the son of an immigrant. If you remember, I was in Manhattan last summer. Do you remember? And I did a little speech. It was about an immigrant son returns, and I talked about how my grandfather landed in steerage on Ellis, uh, Ellis Island 100 years ago, and how my son was on his own boat on the Hudson River last year. Well, that's America. That's the American dream. That is the American dream, and I'm proud of it. And one man made me able to say I'm proud of the success that we've achieved in this family, and that's Donald Trump. He made success okay again, and he's already done us all a service in this country. And let me tell you something else. The poor like him better than the socialists who are telling that they want to tax more people. The poor want to be rich. Did you know that? Did you know that poor people want to be rich? Did you know that even Hispanics are voting in every poll for Donald Trump? Because they understand what socialism is. Most of them left horrible countries. They don't want this country to go downhill as it will under Hillary or that psychotic Bernie Sanders. Nevertheless, it's a great place to be. It's a great city to be in. So let's begin with some sound that you may not have heard, which is Donald Trump debating Bill O'Reilly, the man who came out of the closet as the left-wing demagogue he has always been. Listen now on the Savage Nation. I think you're wrong about the 14th Amendment and frankly, the whole thing with anchor babies and the concept of anchor babies. I don't think you're right about that. I, I think can it's quote it. You want me to quote you the amendment? If you're born here, you're an American. Period. Period. But there are many lawyers. Many lawyers are saying that's not the way it is in terms of this. What happens is they're in Mexico. They're going to have a baby. They uh, move over here that. for a couple of days. They have the baby. No, but Bill, they're saying it's not going to hold up in court. Now it's going to have to be tested. But they say it's not going to hold up in court. Regardless, when people are illegally in the country, they have to go. Now the good ones, and there are plenty of good ones, will work it so it's expedited. We can expedite it where they come back in, but they come back legally. Bill, we have a country. You need borders and you need I, law. Uh, I said that no for law. decades I've been saying that, but you are not going to be able to deport right. people. So O'Reilly has not said it for decades. Turn it off. Turn it off. No, he's trying to play it both ways. O'Reilly is a longtime left-wing operative who pretended to be a conservative. Now when the real issues come down, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, take a guess which side O'Reilly is on. He's on the side of Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and the New World Order of a crowd. Let me explain something to you. I know the 14th Amendment intimately. I have it in my hand. The unconstitutional of citizenship by birth to non-Americans as a fact of life. Let me read it to you. And I'm reading it to you from the gentleman, Senator Howard of Michigan, who actually wrote the amendment in the Senate in 1866. Mr. O'Reilly, did you know it was written in 1866, right after the Civil War? And do you know why the 14th Amendment was written? To make sure that the freed slaves were accepted as American citizens. It was never intended to admit the world, nor was it intended to permit birthright citizenship, nor birth tourism. I'll read it to you. This amendment, Mr. O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly, pay attention. I know you have very big ears. This amendment, which I have offered, is simply declaratory of what I regard as the law of the land already, that every person born within the limits of the United States and subject to their jurisdiction is by virtue of natural law and national law a citizen of the United States. Listen, there's another sentence, Mr. O'Reilly. You have got to read on. You've got to read the whole thing, not a piece of it, because this is in the amendment. Quote, this is by the guy who wrote the amendment. 
This will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens who belong to the families of ambassadors, or foreigners, aliens who belong to the families of ambassadors, or foreign ministers accredited by the, to the government of the United States, but will include every other class of persons. This, and he's writing now, I'm not repeating something in my own head. Here's the man who wrote it. He said, it settles the great question of citizenship and removes all doubt as to what persons are or are not the citizens of the United States, close quote. So it's clear that the framers of the 14th Amendment had absolutely no intention of freely giving away American citizenship to just anyone simply because they may have been born on American soil, something our courts have wrongfully assumed. But there is one sentence and one clause that does need discussion. As Mr. Trump said, it'll have to be determined in the courts. What exactly did, quote, subject to the jurisdiction there of, that's the quote, mean to the framers of the 14th Amendment. We'll have an answer for that as well on the Savage Nation. Senator Lyman Trumbull, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, author of the 13th Amendment, and one and the man who inserted this phrase said this, quote, the provision is that all persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. That means subject to the complete jurisdiction thereof. What do we mean by complete jurisdiction thereof? Not owing allegiance to anybody else, that is what it means. In plain English, only children born to American citizens can be considered citizens of the United States, since only an American citizen could enjoy the extent and quality of jurisdiction of an American citizen now. That settles the case, and I'll tell you something else. You want to hear what, the, what established law is? That's established law. It was never intended to permit the world to dump their babies on our shores and turn them into instant, instant citizens who can then bring in the mother, the father, the aunt, the uncle, the cousins, and the grandparents. It, it, it is either a nation of borders, language, and culture, or it's nothing. It ceases to exist. If you remember your high school biology, it's very simple. You learned what a cell was, and you saw that a plant cell had defined cell walls. Remember? A thick cell wall. That was the extent of the cell of a plant. That cell wall permitted the good stuff to stay in and the bad stuff from coming in, by the way. A an animal cell has a cell membrane. Same thing. Without a cell wall or a cell membrane, there is no cell. It dissolves. It oozes out into the greater body. If that's what you want for America, a nation that is dissolved in front of your eyes, well, keep going along with Bill O'Reilly, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama. I'm Michael Savage. It's 14 minutes after the hour. The phone number here is 855-407-282. 855-400-SAVAGE. Again, live from Manhattan, New York City, the son of an immigrant talking about immigration the biggest issue of the day in fact it is the only issue in this campaign that has really caught on other than one other and that is this hillary clinton did she wipe or didn't she wipe that is the question well she was stopped by ed henry of fox news after giving a little stump speech in a hot gymnasium yesterday and here is what went on in clip number two on the savage nation in charge of it you were the official in charge did you like the service what, like with a cloth or something? No, no. I don't. I know you want to make a point, and I can just repeat what I have said. In order to in order to be as cooperative as possible, we have turned over the server. They can do whatever they want to with the server to figure out what's there, what's not there. That's for the you know people investigating it to try to figure out. But we turned over everything that was work related, every single thing. Personal stuff we did not. I had no obligation to do so and did not. All right. Thank Sir, you all. Thank you all very much. Is that this issue isn't going to go away for the remainder of your campaign? Nobody talks to me about it other than you guys. Nobody talks to me about it other than you guys. Let me tell you something. There are people in prison right now who did less than what Hillary Clinton did. Did you know that? There are government officials from previous administrations who are in prison for doing less than what she did, and yet this imperious lady shrugged off the suggestion that she wiped her server clean with the snarky response, what, with a cloth or something? Let me tell you something. There's more to this than meets the eye. What is it that she wiped and why did she wipe it? What is she hiding? What did she transmit? We'll find out eventually. This is a drip, 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 and it's getting bigger, not smaller. And let me tell you something. There's a thing called Chinese water torture. Do you know what it is? I learned about it as a child from my father. I said, Dad, what's Chinese water torture? He said they would put you in a place and fix your head in a certain position, and they would just drop one drop of water on your head at a time. I said, that doesn't hurt, Dad. He said, yes, in the beginning, that one drop, you hardly feel it because it's only a drop of water. But as the drops keep coming at you slowly but surely, eventually that single drop 
after a thousand drops starts to feel like a sledgehammer on your head. That's called a slow drip. 855-407-282. This is the worst, the worst, worst buck passing I have ever seen since Hillary's husband, Bill Clinton, said that there's more than one way to define the word is and said, I did not have sex with that woman. Well, she could just say the same thing. I did not wipe it clean with a cloth or something. She was quite cocky. It doesn't make her look presidential at all. She looks like what she is, a Democrat socialist operative. And let me tell you something else. This is not going to play out very well for her. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.